Chapter Seven, Part One of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in August two thousand nineteen. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyell. Chapter Seven, Part One farther examination of the question as to the assumed discordance of the ancient and modern causes of change on the causes of vicissitudes in climate remarks on the present diffusion of heat over the globe on the dependence of the mean temperature on the relative position of land and sea isothermal lines currents from equatorial regions drifting of icebergs different temperature of northern and southern hemispheres combination of causes which might produce the extreme cold of which the earth's surface is susceptible conditions necessary for the production of the extreme of heat and its probable effects on organic life causes of vicissitudes in climate as the proofs enumerated in the last chapter indicate that the earth's surface has experienced great changes of climate since the deposition of the older sedimentary strata we have next to inquire how such vicissitudes can be reconciled with the existing order of nature the cosmogonist has availed himself of this as of every obscure problem in geology to confirm his views concerning a period when the planet was in a nascent or half-formed state or when the laws of the animate and inanimate world differed essentially from those now established, and he has in this, as in many other cases, succeeded so far as to divert attention from that class of facts which, if fully understood, might probably lead to an explanation of the phenomena. At first it was imagined that the Earth's axis had been for ages perpendicular to the plane of the ecliptic, so that there was a perpetual equinox and uniformity of seasons throughout the year. That the planet enjoyed this paradisiacal state until the era of the great flood, but in that catastrophe, whether by the shock of a comet or some other convulsion, it lost its equal poise, and hence the obliquity of its axis, and with that the varied seasons of the temperate zone and the long nights and days of the polar circles when the progress of astronomical science had exploded this theory it was assumed that the earth at its creation was in a state of fluidity and red-hot and that ever since that era it had been cooling down contracting its dimensions and acquiring a solid crust a hypothesis hardly less arbitrary yet more calculated for lasting popularity because by referring the mind directly to the beginning of things it requires no support from observation nor from any ulterior hypothesis but if instead of forming vague conjectures as to what might have been the state of the planet at the era of its creation we fix our thoughts on the connection at present existing between climate and the distribution of land and sea and then consider what influence former fluctuations in the physical geography of the earth must have had on superficial temperature we may perhaps approximate to a true theory if doubts and obscurities still remain 
they should be ascribed to our limited acquaintance with the laws of nature, not to revolutions in her economy. They should stimulate us to farther research, not tempt us to indulge our fancies respecting the imaginary changes of internal temperature in an embryo world. Diffusion of Heat Over the Globe In considering the laws which regulate the diffusion of heat over the globe, we must be careful, as Humboldt well remarks, not to regard the climate of Europe as the type of the temperature which all countries placed under the same latitude enjoy. The physical sciences, observes this philosopher, always bear the impress of the places where they began to be cultivated, and as, in geology, an attempt was at first made to refer all the volcanic phenomena to those of the volcanoes in Italy, so in meteorology a small part of the old world, the centre of the primitive civilization of Europe, was for a long time considered a type to which the climate of all corresponding latitudes might be referred. But this region, constituting only one-seventh of the whole globe, proved eventually to be the exception to the general rule. For the same reason, we may warn the geologist to be on his guard, and not hastily to assume that the temperature of the earth in the present era is a type of that which most usually obtains, since he contemplates far mightier alterations in the positions of land and sea, at different epochs, than those which now cause the climate of Europe to differ from that of other countries in the same parallels. It is now well ascertained that zones of equal warmth, both in the atmosphere and in the waters of the ocean, are neither parallel to the equator nor to each other. It is also known that the mean annual temperature may be the same in two places which enjoy very different climates, for the seasons may be nearly uniform or violently contrasted, so that the lines of equal winter temperature do not coincide with those of equal annual heat or isothermal lines. The deviations of all these lines from the same parallel of latitude are determined by a multitude of circumstances, among the principal of which are the position, direction, and elevation of the continents and islands, the position and depths of the sea, and the direction of currents and of winds. On comparing the two continents of Europe and America, it is found that places in the same latitudes have sometimes a mean difference of temperature amounting to 11 degrees, or even in a few cases to 17 degrees Fahrenheit, and some places on the two continents, which have the same mean temperature, differ from 7 degrees to 17 degrees in latitude. Thus, Cumberland House in North America, having the same latitude, 54 degrees north, as the city of York in England, stands on the isothermal line of 32 degrees, which in Europe rises to the North Cape in latitude 71 degrees, but its summer heat exceeds that of Brussels or Paris. The principal cause of greater intensity of cold in corresponding latitudes of North America, as contrasted with Europe, is the connection of America with the polar circle, by a large tract of land, some of which is from three to five thousand feet in height, and, on the other hand, the separation of Europe from the Arctic circle by an ocean. The ocean has a tendency to preserve everywhere a mean temperature, 
which it communicates to the contiguous land, so that it tempers the climate, moderating alike an excess of heat or cold. The elevated land, on the other hand, rising to the colder regions of the atmosphere, becomes a great reservoir of ice and snow, arrests, condenses, and congeals vapor, and communicates its cold to the adjoining country. For this reason, Greenland, forming part of a continent which stretches northward to the 82nd degree of latitude, experiences under the 60th parallel a more rigorous climate than Lapland under the 72nd parallel. But if land be situated between the 40th parallel and the equator, it produces, unless it be of extreme height, exactly the opposite effect, for it then warms the tracts of land or sea that intervene between it and the polar circle. For the surface being in this case exposed to the vertical, or nearly vertical, rays of the sun, absorbs a large quantity of heat, which it diffuses by radiation into the atmosphere. For this reason, the western parts of the old continent derive warmth from Africa, which, like an immense furnace, distributes its heat to Arabia, to Turkey in Asia, and to Europe. On the contrary, the northeastern extremity of Asia experiences in the same latitude extreme cold, for it has land on the north between the 60th and 70th parallel, while to the south it is separated from the equator by the Pacific Ocean. In consequence of the more equal temperature of the waters of the ocean, the climate of islands and of coasts differs essentially from that of the interior of continents, the more maritime climate being characterized by mild winters and more temperate summers, for the sea breezes moderate the cold of winter as well as the heat of summer. When, therefore, we trace round the globe those belts in which the mean annual temperature is the same, we often find great differences in climate, for there are insular climates in which the seasons are nearly equalized, and excessive climates, as they have been termed, where the temperature of winter and summer is strongly contrasted. The whole of Europe, compared with the eastern parts of America and Asia, has an insular climate. The northern part of China and the Atlantic region of the United States exhibit excessive climates. We find at New York, says Humboldt, the summer of Rome and the winter of Copenhagen, at Quebec the summer of Paris and the winter of Petersburg. At Pekin, in China, where the mean temperature of the year is that of the coasts of Brittany, the scorching heats of summer are greater than at Cairo, and the winters as rigorous as at Uppsala. If lines be drawn round the globe through all those places which have the same winter temperature, they are found to deviate from the terrestrial parallels much farther than the lines of equal mean annual heat. The lines of equal winter in Europe, for example, are often curved so as to reach parallels of latitude 9 or 10 degrees distant from each other, whereas the isothermal lines, or those passing through places having the same mean annual temperature, differ only from 4 to 5 degrees in Europe. Influence of Currents and Drift Ice on Temperature Among other influential causes, both of remarkable diversity in the mean annual heat and of unequal division of heat in the different seasons, 
are the direction of currents and the accumulation and drifting of ice in high latitudes the temperature of the lagulas current is ten degrees or twelve degrees fahrenheit above that of the sea at the cape of good hope for it derives the greater part of its waters from the mozambique channel and southeast coast of africa and from regions in the indian ocean much nearer the line and much hotter than the cape an opposite effect is produced by the equatorial current which crosses the atlantic from africa to brazil having a breadth varying from one hundred sixty to four hundred fifty nautical miles its waters are cooler by three degrees to four degrees fahrenheit than those of the ocean under the line so that it moderates the heat of the tropics but the effects of the gulf stream on the climate of the north atlantic ocean are far more remarkable this most powerful of known currents has its source in the gulf or sea of mexico which like the mediterranean and other close seas in temperate or low latitudes is warmer than the open ocean in the same parallels the temperature of the mexican sea in summer is according to rennell eighty six degrees fahrenheit or at least seven degrees above that of the atlantic in the same latitude from this great reservoir or cauldron of warm water a constant current pours forth through the straits of bahama at the rate of three or four miles an hour it crosses the ocean in a northeasterly direction skirting the great bank of newfoundland where it still retains a temperature of eight degrees above that of the surrounding sea it reaches the azores in about seventy-eight days after flowing nearly three thousand geographical miles and from thence it sometimes extends its course a thousand miles farther so as to reach the bay of biscay still retaining an excess of five degrees above the mean temperature of that sea as it has been known to arrive there in the months of november and january it may tend greatly to moderate the cold of winter in countries on the west of europe there is a large tract in the centre of the north atlantic between the parallels of thirty three degrees and forty five degrees northern latitude which rennell calls the recipient of the gulf water a great part of it is covered by the weed called sargasso sargassum bacchiferum which the current floats in abundance from the gulf of mexico this mass of water is nearly stagnant is warmer by seven or ten degrees than the waters of the atlantic and may be compared to the fresh water of a river overflowing the heavier salt water of the sea rennell estimates the area of the recipient together with that covered by the main current as being two thousand miles in length from east to west and three hundred fifty in breadth from north to south which he remarks is a larger area than that of the mediterranean the heat of this great body of water is kept up by the incessant and quick arrivals of fresh supplies of warm water from the south and there can be no doubt that the general climate of parts of europe and america is materially affected by this cause it is considered probable by scoresby that the influence of the gulf stream extends even to the sea near spitzbergen where its waters may pass under those of melted ice for it has been found that in the neighbourhood of spitzbergen the water is warmer by six or seven degrees at the depth of one hundred and two hundred fathoms than at the surface 
this might arise from the known law that fresh water passes the point of greatest density when cooled down below forty degrees and between that and the freezing point expands again the water of melted ice might be lighter both as being fresh having lost its salt in the decomposing process of freezing and because its temperature is nearer the freezing point than the interior water of the gulf stream the great glaciers generated in the valleys of spitzbergen in the seventy-ninth degree of north latitude are almost all cut off at the beach being melted by the feeble remnant of heat still retained by the gulf stream in baffin's bay on the contrary on the west coast of old greenland where the temperature of the sea is not mitigated by the same cause and where there is no warmer undercurrent the glaciers stretch out from the shore and furnish repeated crops of mountainous masses of ice which float off into the ocean the number and dimensions of these bergs is prodigious captain sir john ross saw several of them together in baffin's bay aground in water fifteen hundred feet deep many of them are driven down to hudson's bay and accumulating there diffuse excessive cold over the neighboring continent so that captain franklin reports that at the mouth of hayes river which lies in the same latitude as the north of prussia or the south of scotland ice is found everywhere in digging wells in summer at the depth of four feet other bergs have been occasionally met with at midsummer in a state of rapid thaw as far south as latitude forty degrees and longitude about sixty degrees west where they cool the water sensibly to the distance of forty or fifty miles around the thermometer sinking sometimes seventeen degrees or even eighteen degrees fahrenheit in their neighborhood it is a well-known fact that every four or five years a large number of icebergs floating from greenland double cape langerness and are stranded on the west coast of iceland the inhabitants are then aware that their crops of hay will fail in consequence of fogs which are generated almost incessantly and the dearth of food is not confined to the land for the temperature of the water is so changed that the fish entirely desert the coast difference of climate of the northern and southern hemispheres when we compare the climate of the northern and southern hemispheres we obtain still more instruction in regard to the influence of the distribution of land and sea on climate the dry land in the southern hemisphere is to that of the northern in the ratio only of one to three excluding from our consideration that part which lies between the pole and the seventy-eighth degree of south latitude which has hitherto proved inaccessible and whereas in the northern hemisphere between the pole and the thirtieth parallel of north latitude the land and sea occupy nearly equal areas the ocean in the southern hemisphere covers no less than fifteen parts in sixteen of the entire space included between the antarctic circle and the thirtieth parallel of south latitude this great extent of sea gives a particular character to climates south of the equator the winters being mild and the summers cool thus in van diemen's land corresponding nearly in latitude to rome the winters are more mild than at naples and the summers not warmer than those at paris which is seven degrees farther from the equator 
the effects on animal and vegetable life are remarkable captain king observed large shrubs of fuchsia and veronica which in england are treated as tender plants thriving and in full flower in tierra del fuego with the temperature at thirty six degrees he states also that hummingbirds were seen sipping the sweets of the flowers after two or three days of constant rain snow and sleet during which time the thermometer had been at the freezing point mr darwin also saw parrots feeding on the seeds of a tree called the winter spark south of latitude fifty five degrees near cape horn so the orchideous plants which are parasitical on trees and are generally characteristic of the tropics advance to the thirty-eighth and forty-second degree of southern latitude and even beyond the forty-fifth degree in new zealand where they were found by forster in south america also arborescent grasses abound in the dense forests of chiloe in latitude forty-two degrees south where they entwine the trees into one entangled mass to the height of thirty or forty feet above the ground palm trees in the same quarter of the globe grow in latitude thirty seven degrees an arborescent grass very like a bamboo in forty degrees and another closely allied kind of great length but not erect even as far south as forty five degrees it has long been supposed that the general temperature of the southern hemisphere was considerably lower than that of the northern and that the difference amounted to at least ten degrees fahrenheit baron humboldt after collecting and comparing a great number of observations came to the conclusion that even a much larger difference existed but that none was to be observed within the tropics and only a small difference as far as the thirty-fifth and fortieth parallel captain cook was of opinion that the ice of the antarctic predominated greatly over that of the arctic region that encircling the southern pole coming nearer to the equator by ten degrees than the ice around the north pole all the recent voyages of discovery have tended to confirm this opinion although captain weddell penetrated in eighteen twenty three three degrees farther south than captain cook reaching latitude seventy four degrees fifteen minutes south longitude thirty four degrees seventeen minutes west and sir james ross in eighteen forty two arrived at latitude seventy eight degrees ten minutes south as high a latitude within three degrees as the farthest point attained by captain perry in the arctic circle or latitude eighty one degrees twelve minutes north the description given by ancient as well as modern navigators of the sea and land in high southern latitudes clearly attests the greater severity of the climate as compared to arctic regions in sandwich land in latitude fifty nine degrees south or in nearly the same parallel as the north of scotland captain cook found the whole country from the summits of the mountains down to the very brink of the sea cliffs covered many fathoms thick with everlasting snow and this on the first of february the hottest time of the year and what is still more astonishing in the island of south georgia which is in the fifty-fourth degree south latitude or the same parallel as yorkshire the line of perpetual snow descends to the level of the ocean 
when we consider this fact and then recollect that the highest mountains in scotland which ascend to an elevation of nearly five thousand feet and are four degrees farther to the north do not attain the limit of perpetual snow on our side of the equator we learn that latitude is one only of many powerful causes which determine the climate of particular regions of the globe captain sir james ross in his exploring expedition in eighteen forty one to three found that the temperature south of the sixtieth degree of latitude seldom rose above thirty two degrees fahrenheit during the two summer months of the year eighteen forty one january and february the range of the thermometer was between eleven degrees and thirty two degrees fahrenheit and scarcely once rose above the freezing point the permanence of snow in the southern hemisphere is in this instance partly due to the floating ice which chills the atmosphere and condenses the vapour so that in summer the sun cannot pierce through the foggy air but besides the abundance of ice which covers the sea to the south of georgia and sandwich land we may also as humboldt suggests ascribe the cold of those countries in part to the absence of land between them and the tropics if africa and new holland extended farther to the south a diminution of ice would take place in consequence of the radiation of heat from these continents during summer which would warm the contiguous sea and rarefy the air the heated aerial currents would then ascend and flow more rapidly towards the south pole and moderate the winter in confirmation of these views it is stated that the ice which extends as far as the sixty eighth degree and seventy first degree of south latitude advances more towards the equator whenever it meets an open sea that is where the extremities of the present continents are not opposite to it and this circumstance seems explicable only on the principle above alluded to of the radiation of heat from the lands so situated the cold of the antarctic regions was conjectured by cook to be due to the existence of a large tract of land between the seventieth degree of south latitude and the pole the justness of these and other speculations of that great navigator have since been singularly confirmed by the investigation made by sir james ross in eighteen forty one he found victoria land extending from seventy one degrees to seventy nine degrees south latitude skirted by a great barrier of ice the height of the land ranging from four thousand to fourteen thousand feet the whole entirely covered with snow except a narrow ring of black earth surrounding the huge crater of the active volcano of mount erebus rising twelve thousand four hundred feet above the level of the sea the position of a mountainous territory of such altitude so near the pole and so obvious a source of intense cold fully explains why graham's and enderby's land discovered by captain biscoe in eighteen thirty one to two between latitude sixty four degrees and sixty eight degrees south presented a most wintry aspect covered even in summer with ice and snow and nearly destitute of animal life in corresponding latitudes of the northern hemisphere we not only meet with herds of wild herbivorous animals but with land which man himself inhabits and where he has even built ports and inland villages 
the distance to which icebergs float from the polar regions on the opposite side of the line is as might have been anticipated very different their extreme limit in the northern hemisphere is latitude forty degrees as before mentioned and they are occasionally seen in latitude forty two degrees north near the termination of the great bank of newfoundland and at the azores latitude forty two degrees north to which they are sometimes drifted from baffin's bay but in the other hemisphere they have been seen within the last few years at different points off the cape of good hope between latitude thirty six degrees and thirty nine degrees one of these was two miles in circumference and one hundred fifty feet high appearing like chalk when the sun was obscured and having the lustre of refined sugar when the sun was shining on it others rose from two hundred fifty to three hundred feet above the level of the sea and were therefore of great volume below since it is ascertained by experiments on the buoyancy of ice floating in sea-water that for every cubic foot seen above there must at least be eight cubic feet below water if ice islands from the north polar regions floated as far they might reach cape st vincent and there being drawn by the current that always sets in from the atlantic through the straits of gibraltar be drifted into the mediterranean so that the serene sky of that delightful region might soon be deformed by clouds and mist before the amount of difference between the temperature of the two hemispheres was ascertained it was referred by many astronomers to the precession of the equinoxes or the acceleration of the earth's motion in its perihelium in consequence of which the spring and summer of the southern hemisphere are now shorter by nearly eight days than those seasons north of the equator but sir j herschel reminds us that the excess of eight days in the duration of the sun's presence in the northern hemisphere is not productive of an excess of annual light and heat since according to the laws of elliptic motion it is demonstrable that whatever be the ellipticity of the earth's orbit the two hemispheres must receive equal absolute quantities of light and heat per annum the proximity of the sun in perigee exactly compensating the effect of its swifter motion humboldt however observes that there must be a greater loss of heat by radiation in the southern hemisphere during a winter longer by eight days than that on the other side of the equator perhaps no very sensible effect may be produced by this source of disturbance yet the geologist should bear in mind that to a certain extent it operates alternately on each of the two hemispheres for a period of upwards of ten thousand years dividing unequally the times during which the annual supply of solar light and heat is received this cause may sometimes tend to counterbalance inequalities of temperature resulting from other far more influential circumstances but on the other hand it must sometimes tend to increase the extreme of deviation arising from particular combinations of causes but whatever may be at present the inferiority of heat in the temperate and frigid zones south of the line it is quite evident that the cold would be far more intense if there happened instead of open sea to be tracts of elevated land between the fifty-fifth and seventieth parallel and on the other hand 
the cold would be moderated if there were more land between the line and the forty-fifth degree of south latitude. End of chapter 7, part 1